We are uh, talking about Monday morning faith. Uh, and our conviction is that, that faith is not something that's just supposed to be segmented into just a tiny corner of our lives. That it's not just for a couple hours on Sunday morning or a few moments in a devotional time, but that our faith is something that should impact every area of our life, every arena in which we operate. And we began last week talking about family and how, how that might look, how faith and our relationship with Christ might uh, shape our, our family. And I don't know if I said that in this service, but, uh, but you do know that diaper spelled backwards is repaid, don't you? Have you ever thought about that? It just some of you are doing oh, right. It is. It is right. Yeah, just just a thought. Next time you're changing a diaper, there it repaid, right? Uh, but this morning uh, we we want to focus on on work, and particularly uh, how can I uh, approach work, uh, my work as worship? You know, for for many 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 of us, uh, work takes up. Such a huge, huge part of our life. I mean, when you start kind of looking at your, your time expenditure, when you kind of talk about your waking hours, we spend an incredible amount of our adult life in work, right? And it's not only the time that we're actually there, but you, you compound that with how much of our time is spent thinking about work, and we think about our job. We think about what do I need to do next? What, what did I miss? What did I forget? Uh, how do we maximize profits? How do I solve this problem? How do I uh, communicate this well? Uh, what about this personnel issue? What about this whole? What about this? And, and even when we're not at work, we're, we're, we're bombarded with faults about work. And in a connected world, sometimes it seems like we're never off, right? And we'll talk a little bit about that next week in busyness. But even if we're not at work, even if we're not thinking about work, the operations, sometimes we're given to a little deeper reflection. What's, what's the meaning of it all? I mean, why am I doing this? What's the purpose of it? And should I keep doing it? How is this a job even affecting me as a human being? How's it affecting my family? Is it making my life better or worse? Is it really worth it? Why? And then, as a follower of Jesus Christ, we even have a whole deeper level of reflection. How is my work shaping my character? Is it helping it to move in a godly direction? How can I do my work as a sold-out follower of Jesus Christ? How do I do it in a way that's more than just putting food on the table? And our conviction as we approach this subject is simply this, that your work matters to God. Your work matters to God. What you do and the way that you do it matter to God. And whatever your job is in this season of your life, Paid or unpaid, marketplace, government, nonprofit sector, education, whatever it is, your work matters to God. What you do and the way that you do it, it really does matter to God. And so I want us to just explore a little bit of what the Bible might have to say to us, what God may have to say to us through particularly the text, sacred text about work. And particularly to think about worship as through 
or while we work. Because our conviction is that, that worship is not just something we do and gathered on Sunday morning. But it is all that we do. It can be all that we do as we recognize and respond to the worth and the worthiness of God. Our work can be worship before God if we do it in such a way that we recognize and respond to his worth. And so I want to just kind of put this together around five kind of big thoughts, and, and I hope that they might serve us well this morning. Uh, the first is, is kind of a foundational one, and that is to recognize. I'm going to worship while I work when I recognize that work actually fulfills one of God's purposes at creation. You go to the very first book of the Bible. You go to the second chapter as this creation account is unfolding. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Interestingly, in the Hebrew language, the root word that can be translated work, that same root can also lead to the word that is translated worship. Isn't that interesting? Work and worship have this same root in the Hebrew. But I want you to see something very clearly here. Genesis 2, this, this intentionality of God to work it and keep it, this is before the fall and the curse. This is before the fall and the curse. Sometimes we may think on a Monday morning, hey, I got to get up and go to work. It feels like a curse maybe, right? Uh, but actually God designed work well before uh, the, the, the fall, well before the rebellion of man, well before the consequences of that, uh, the curse upon work. And in fact, is sometimes we have this weird image, a, a non-scripturally informed image of, of, of heaven and life after death as if it's going to be like, well, we're like going to float on clouds. And we're going to play endless rounds of golf or, you know, whatever your, your kind of image is there, right? And actually, and when you th look at the Scripture, you have this new heaven and this new earth that work, meaningful work, meaningful labor is a part of God's creation design. It is a part of our life. It was before the fall, it was before the curse. And obviously, that sin has scarred work. It's distorted work, just like every other part of God's creation. But that doesn't change the fact that, that it was part of God's original purposes at creation. Adam didn't just guard the garden. He developed it. And he wasn't like a park ranger, right? You know, he was like yeah, hands-on. He was, he was involved in it. He was, he was investing in it. He was helping to develop it along the way. He wasn't just, just like guarding it to keep out of the gate, no. Uh, but he was developing it. He was to take the raw materials and to develop them for the glory of God and the good of others. And that, that's a lot of, of what we end up doing in work. We take things that God has entrusted to us and we develop them for the glory of God and for the good of others. The great reformer Martin Luther was reading the, the Psalms and he, and he came to these verses in Psalm 147. He said, for he strengthens, talking about God, for he strengthens the bars of your gates. He blesses your children within you. He makes peace in your borders as he's describing what God does for this, this city. He fills you up with the finest of the wheat. And as Martin Luther read that, he began to ask a question, how does God do that? 
How does God do that? How does he strengthen the bars of the gates, bless the children, make peace in your borders, and fill you with the finest wheat? And as he wrestled that, he began to conclude God does that primarily through people. Primarily through people. He strengthens the bars through uh, government, through righteous laws, at times through law enforcement. He blesses children through certainly parents, as we talked about last week, the church we talked about last week. Uh, but he blesses children through teachers, through coaches, through others who invest in their lives. How does he make peace in your borders? Certainly wise laws and, and fair practices, but also even through the times the use of law enforcement, the use of military. And how does he fill you with the finest wheat? Well, he uses a diversity of folks to make that happen. Here's Martin Luther's words. When you pray the Lord's Prayer, we ask God to give us this day our daily bread. And he does give us our daily bread. He does it by means of the farmer who planted and harvested the grain. The baker who made the flour into bread. And the person who prepared our meal. God is, is the provider, but God uses all of these people to provide. And in much the same way uh, that work is, is part of uh, fulfilling God's purpose, that we get to engage in co-labor, at times even in a sense of co-creation with God as we develop things for the glory of God and for the good of other people. And the very fact that we have skills and talents and abilities to do those things are a gift from God, by God's grace. The very next book in the Bible, the book of Exodus, puts it this way. As, as Moses was writing, he was describing those that God had gifted who were going to do work connected with the, the building of the tabernacle. He has filled them with skill to do every sort of work done by an engraver or by a designer or by an embroiderer in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and the fine twine linen, for, or by a weaver, by any sort of workman, or skilled designer. That God gives these skills. God entrusts these talents, these aptitudes, these abilities along the way. In fact, is we, we talk about a, a vocation. Vocation comes from the Latin word voca, which means to call. It is how God designed and called you to serve the world. We, we serve the world through our labor. We, we do so to the glory of God and for the good of others. Horst Schultz talked about the, the development of the, uh, of the culture at the Ritz-Carlton and, and, and how they kind of in, try, sought to, to ennoble all the work. And part of, part of the value that they tried to instill in, in all of their employees, from those who were, who were checking people in, to those who were handling and moving luggage, those who were preparing meals, those who were cleaning rooms, those who were uh, cleaning uh, laundry, and all of those things. And, and their motto became this, we are ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen. We are ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen that whatever you do you can bring a, a nobility to it you, you, you do it as one who is serving 
for the glory of God and for the good of others. We begin to worship as we work when we recognize that work fulfills one of God's purposes at creation. Secondly, we do so when we pursue the highest standards of excellence. When we pursue the highest standards of excellence. In Colossians chapter 3, as Paul is writing uh, this letter to some uh, believers, some followers of Christ in, in, in Colossae, he, he talks uh, uh, with some lots of admonitions toward the, the back end of that letter. He talks about how we relate to one another in our household. And then he begins in verse 22 to talk about uh, bond servants. And then uh, he kind of summarizes it in verse 23 and 24. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Now, now think about those words. I, maybe for some of us, we've, we've read those, we've heard those so much, they, they have lost their, their impact a little bit. But what he reminds us is, you have a higher boss than your employer. You have a higher boss than your employer. It is the Lord Jesus Christ you are serving. And not only that, but you work for a greater reward than your paycheck. Now, the paycheck is a really good reward. It's right, I mean, it's, it's how we exchange goods and services, right? But, uh, but there is a greater reward. He, he talks about you'll receive the inheritance as your reward as you serve the Lord heartily, as serving the Lord and not merely men. He, he would say in, in, in to the, a letter to the Corinthians, whatever, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. How do I worship as I work? I pursue the highest standards of excellence. And because in a sin-scarred world, all of our work environments are imperfect, right? All of them are imperfect. In fact, some of them are very difficult and very hard. There are hard seasons and hard places to be in. And there, there are times when, when maybe we, we, we are tempted to think, I, why, uh, why am I doing this? Why am I putting up with this? Why, why, this? The people above me, they don't appreciate. They don't recognize. They don't honor hard work. Why don't I just like, like kind of get along and just, just do the bare minimum like seems like so many others are doing? Or maybe we begin to think, I, I deserve more. I, I shouldn't have to do this for this, this amount of a paycheck. I deserve more. I haven't gotten a raise in one, two, three or more years. Why should I do this? Why should I bust my rear end? Because you're not serving men. It is the Lord Jesus Christ that you're serving. You're serving for more than just a paycheck. And that doesn't mean that you always have to stay in a bad place or a bad position. Not suggesting that at all. But I'm saying in the midst of even those hard seasons, those hard places, you remember that regardless of whether it's recognized or rewarded, I can pursue a higher standard of excellence because I don't work for my boss. I don't work for this company. I don't work for this paycheck. I work for the Lord Jesus Christ. It's King Jesus who I'm serving. You pursue the highest standards of excellence. I bring worship to my work 
as I reflect the highest standards of ethics. As I reflect the highest standards of ethics. Proverbs 11, 5 says, A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. And not many of us probably uh, work a whole lot with, with, with literal balance and, and scales uh, today. But, but you understand uh, the, the principle. You understand what he's saying. Well, that a, a merchant in that day could have deceived somebody by using a, a false balance, by, by putting something a little heavier on one side of the balance scale. And, and so I'm, I'm, I'm telling you I'm giving you this much of this, of this product or this good but I'm actually giving you less than that because I'm using a false balance. Sometimes we have a false balance when we fudge the mileage, when we pad the expense account, when we call in sick when we're not really sick, when we take office supplies for personal use. You get the idea. I don't have to catalog them all. We bring the highest standards of ethics and how we relate to our job and how we relate to people. We, we live out that golden rule to do unto others as we would have them to do unto us. We do so because our ethical practices reflect on God. It's not just a reflection on us. It's not just a reflection on our company, but it is a reflection upon God, the God whom we represent. And work that worships God should demonstrate the justice and the integrity of God. It may mean things as simple as I pay on time. I do what I say I'm going to do. I deliver the work that I said I was going to deliver when it was promised. And there are those that, that sometimes as followers of Christ that engage in business that have, have found themselves frustrated at times in working with, with other Christians who, because you're fellow Christians, somehow we feel like, well, I, you, you'll cut me some slack, right? You'll extend to me a little extra grace so it's okay for me to pay late. It's okay for me not to deliver exactly on time because we're, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. No, 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 no. No, no, no. Work that worships God should demonstrate the justice and the integrity of God. Because our practices, even as simple as how we fill out expense accounts and how we pay on time, reflect on the God whose name that we bear. Fourthly, we can worship as we work when we make blessing others part of the bottom line. When we make the blessing of others part of the bottom line. And maybe a good way to understand this is to think about what Jesus did for us. Paul wrote to the Corinthians in these words, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. So that you, by his poverty, might become rich. 
What did Christ model for us here? Christ modeled leveraging positions of strength to bless and to serve others. That, that he had this incredible position of strength, of rich, and yet for your sake, he became poor. Now, now, please don't mishear what I'm saying here. Please track with me, all right? A good profitable business can be a blessing to a community. I am not in any way suggesting you, uh, your business, your company should not make a profit. You should. In a, in a capitalistic society, you should make a profit. If you don't make a profit, you're not going to be in business very long. You're not going to employ families very long. You're not going to deliver needed goods and services to a community very long. And so it is absolutely essential that a business is well run and that that business is profitable. But there has to be, for a follower of Christ, something in addition to that that we make sure that we include as part of the bottom line. And so maybe some questions will help to clarify what I'm trying to communicate here. Absolutely, to be profitable. But even in the midst of that profitability, to begin to ask questions like, I know we can make a profit at this, but is it genuinely helpful to people? I mean, yes, it's, it's, it's a way to make money, but does it really serve does it serve people? Is it, is it genuinely helpful to people? And maybe an extreme case of that in the negative would be, uh, be somebody dealing drugs or somebody trafficking in pornography. Can you make a profit doing those things? Yes. Is it helpful to people genuinely? No. In fact, it's very destructive. And so as a follower of Christ... Profit is important. But we also have to ask, is it genuinely helpful to people? A second question. Is this not just good for a few, but beneficial to the community? When you have power, when you have position, when you have resources, when you have leverage, you can do things that will continually benefit you. And as a follower of Christ, we, we need to ask again, nothing wrong with those things that profit us. But is this something that's just going to profit a few, a few of us who have leverage, who have connections? Or is this actually going to be beneficial to the community as a whole? Is this just going to serve the interest of a few at the cost of the many? Or is this something that we could profit certainly from while being beneficial to the community. And then to ask how. How can we give and invest in the community? How can we give and invest in the community? Out of the, the, the profit, out of the, the riches, out of the, the, the influence that comes with that. How can we give and invest in the community? How can we give and invest in the people who work with us and for us? How can we give and invest in the community that God has placed us in? How can we give and invest? And what's encouraging is, is there are many businesses who, who actually are beginning to think 
uh, that there may be something than just increased numbers that are part of the bottom line. And they are genuinely uh, thinking about how can we give and invest in our community. And you look around the community in which we, we are blessed to live in. And the, the reality is our community is blessed by some businesses who have chosen to give and invest, who have chosen to, to think that there may be some other things that are a part of the bottom line. And I think that's a great question, a great perspective for a particularly a follower of Jesus Christ. But I want to give you one more, and maybe this may even stretch some of us a little bit, personally, but maybe even for our families. And that is, I worship as I work when I seek to advance Jesus' mission where you can You seek to advance Jesus' mission where you can. The conviction is that work done by followers of Christ should be done with a view toward the Great Commission. Jesus said, go you therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them. Just saw some baptisms. In the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. And in this, he said, I am with you always, even to the ends of the earth. A better translation of that opening phrase is not just go, but as you are going. As you are going. As you are going in where you live, where you work, where you play, as you are going in those environments, look for ways to make disciples. Billy Graham said uh, a few years before his death, I believe that one of the next great moves of God is going to be through believers in the workplace. Think about that. That God is going to work strategically and powerfully through believers in the workplace. And I want us to think about this kind of in two ways. One, maybe on on a personal, more uh, micro level, but then kind of on on a little larger, even even an envisioning level. Uh, On that, that first level, we'll just turn to the counsel of Peter. Peter said, but in your hearts... Honor Christ the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Here may be one of the ways that God begins to move in the marketplace. That as you live and work, where you live and work, as you Honor Christ first in your work by practicing the four things we were just talking about. Others may begin to to see something in you. As we rub shoulders with each other, and let's face it, I mean, we, we, for in our adult lives, if, if, if you're engaged in full-time employment outside of the home, sometimes you can, you can spend as many or more hours with the people you work with as anybody else in your life, Right? And sometimes people you work with see facets of your personality that that maybe even your family doesn't always get to see. And as they see Christ in you, maybe they begin to ask about your motives, right? Why do you work the way you do? Why do you work the way you do? Why do you do that when so-and-so is such such and such, right? Why do you do that when we're not getting paid what we're worth? 
What motivates you? Maybe they'll notice your joy. <laughs> how, how do you have the spirit you have when we're dealing with the junk we're dealing with, right? How do you have a joy in the midst of a mess? Maybe it's life personally. It's just what's kind of going on in your work environment because every work environment has stuff at times, right? Even the best of them. How do, how do you have a joy? How do you not join in the, the, the griping and the, and the complaining and the, and the whining? Now, obviously, I'm making a huge assumption here, right? I'm assuming you're not joining in on the grumping and the whining and the complaining, that they actually see a joy in us. Maybe they begin to ask. Or maybe, maybe they watch your response to hardships and challenges whether that's personal or in the business. I think you respond. You respond differently. How do you do that? Why do you do that? And in that moment, it becomes an opportunity to talk about the hope that is in you, to do it with gentleness and respect. That you're going to have platform with people who are far from God but close to you that you work with every single week. I think that may be one way that we will see this movement of God through believers in the workplace. But I want to suggest to you maybe even a more macro level. And that is to think about the next great wave of missions. For many think that the next great wave of missions is going to take place on the wings of business. That is, some countries become increasingly closed to traditional missionaries. That the next great movement of missions is going to happen on the wings of business. Proverbs 22 says, do you see a man skillful in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. That that God may may use, if you have great skill in your work, it may give you opportunity. It may give you opportunity to be before people that normally wouldn't have. Maybe it'll it'll allow you to have uh, access and influence in a C-suite. Maybe it'll give you access and influence in a country, in a nation, upon those influencers, those people in power because of the skillfulness that you bring to your work. Here's a question. What if? What if God made you good at that skill? That skill that you have, that skill with numbers, that skill in engineering, that skill in in math or science or technology, that skill in in people, that, 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 that skill. What if God made you good at that skill? To open up a nation or a people group to the gospel of Jesus Christ. What if? It's very interesting. Many countries that are most in need of the gospel are also desperately in need of business development. 
Missiologists have talked about like a 1040 window. Some of you have heard that description. That kind of just looking at the, at the globe, kind of that, that 10 degrees north of the equator to 40 degrees north, that 1040 window. This vast population that lives northern Africa, India, over into China, all these places. Vast population. And in some of those countries, there's not only limited access to the gospel, but there are extreme levels of poverty, extreme levels of need. What if, what if God made you good at something and that something is exactly what a nation needed and that nation would be closed to a traditional missionary funded by a church sent over there but they would be wide open to that man or that woman who brought a particular skill set to bear that that nation or that people group within a nation desperately, desperately needed. What if? So here's the challenge. And for some of us, maybe it's a challenge personally. For some of us, it's going to be a challenge that maybe we need to begin to pray and think and issue to our children or to our grandchildren. Do what you do. Do what you do well for the glory of God and do it somewhere strategic for the mission of God. Do what you do well for the glory of God and say, God, I'm willing to do it somewhere strategic for the mission of God. Now, I know, I know, I know. Some of us are immediately thinking, but, 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 but. I, I want my kids close. I want my grandbabies close. What if? What if those skills, you begin to think about, Lord, where could I leverage these strategically for the mission of God? What would it look like if there were, were men and women who began to pray and think just even within our own nation, began to think about, uh, about areas of our country that are, that are unchurched and under-evangelized and, and began to think about the Northeast, began to think about the Northwest, began to think about uh, some of the major metropolitan areas of our country and began to think, what would it look like, God? What would it look like for me to do my work so well for the glory of God? And to do it in a place that was strategic for the mission of God. What would it look like, God, if I did this work well for the glory of God and it allowed me access to a country where traditional missions would have limited to no access at all? What if? What if? God made you good at that skill to open up a nation, to open up a people group to the gospel of Jesus Christ. As we think about unleashing a movement of Christ-centered, spirit-empowered world changers from this place, don't just think like pastors and missionaries. 
Think men and women who are so good at what they do. They do it well for the glory of God, and they begin to do it strategically, somewhere strategic for the mission of God. Because I think, actually, wasn't Paul a tent maker? Isn't that a lot what he did as he took the gospel where it had never been before? Could it be that in our families, God may have us to begin to pray that way about the generations yet to come? Could it be that some of the children, and I know they're your children, that are on a preschool hall or a children's hall or gather with the student ministry right now, that we began to just ask and pray as a church, God, call forth men and women who do what they do well for the glory of God, and they'll do it somewhere strategic for the mission of God. Could that be part of what it looks like for us to be that aircraft carrier that sends Christ-centered, spirit-empowered world changers across the street and around the world? Let me try to bring this together. One warning. Worship God and not your work. Worship God and not your work. And in our culture, in our society, sometimes that's not always easy to do because sometimes we get our identity from what we do. We get our identity from from our work. Very often, guys, let's face it, very early in a conversation with another guy, the question comes up, right? What do you do? And they're usually not asking what household chores you do, right? They're asking what kind of work do you do? It is so easy to get our identity from our work. It is so easy to find our security in our ability to produce, our ability to work. God created work. Not to be worshipped, but to worship him through our work. Don't be idle at work or make an idol of your work. God is not honored when we, we do uh, less than excellent work, when we, we give half efforts, when we, we cut ethical corners, when we think about what's just in it for me. But he's not honored when we make an idol of our work as well. And let me just tell you, the only way I know to be able to do this is when Jesus is your life, when Jesus is your identity, when Jesus is your security. Then you can enjoy the rest of your life. Then you can enjoy your family. Then you can enjoy your work. Doesn't mean everything's nice or easy. Doesn't mean it's not hard at times. But you have a freedom and a capacity to enjoy it. And so I just need to pause right here and make sure that you understand everything that I'm talking about in this series, everything that I've talked about today. This is not work to earn God's love, work to earn God's favor. No, our security and our identity is not on our work, but it's in the finished, completed work of Jesus Christ. It's the work that Jesus did when he came and gave up the glories of heaven and came into a sin-scarred world and he lived the life that you and I were called to live, a life of perfect love and perfect obedience to the Heavenly Father. He died a death on a cross that you and I deserve to die because of our rebellion and our sin and our pushing him to the periphery of our lives so that he could offer to us 
certified by the resurrection from the tomb. He could offer to us forgiveness of our sin. He could offer to us a new identity. He could offer to us a security that we are part of his forever family. He could offer to us meaning and purpose and direction. And I just need to say to you today, for some of us in the room, before you can work as worship, you need to know Christ as Savior and Lord. And we want to help you to do that. In that very back corner over there, there's some banners, there's tables, there's next steps on the wall. That area is there specifically to help you take a next step. There's going to be some folks there at the close of our time specifically just to be available to have a conversation, to continue this conversation, to answer some questions. And maybe you say, yeah, I'm not even sure what my next step is. Just make your way back there. We would be honored whether it's to discover more about Christ whether it's to go public with your faith in the baptism, whether it's to, to connect to a group or connect to this church or connect to a serving opportunity, make your way back to that next step area. Because we don't want you to find your identity and your security and your work. Because that can disappear in a minute. Some of you have experienced that personally. We want you to have your identity and your security in a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the warning. That's the invitation. But what I want to do is close with a commissioning. I want to close with the commissioning, and let me borrow the words of Robert Renner, who wrote a book a few years ago called Roaring Lambs. There should be no less support or attention, he wrote, for an earnest Christian young person who has been accepted to the Juilliard School of Music than for one going off to a theological seminary. The church needs writers, performers, artists, speakers, politicians, businessmen, businesswomen, and workers in every craft and trade. In God's eyes, there should be no hierarchy, and there certainly should not be in ours. And so today, I want to commission you. Commission you, whatever it is that God has called you to in this season in your life whether in home or in the marketplace, I want to commission you as artists and musicians, as creatives, as advertising, in marketing and film and television and web or print design, entrepreneurs and business owners, healthcare, pharmaceutical, biotech, medical, some other field of science, education, Athletics, coaching, government, state, local, federal, including our military, law, finance, accounting, tax, social services, or the nonprofit sector, real estate, construction, architecture, transportation or trades such as plumbers or electricians or painters or mechanics or carpenters, service industry such as retail and food services and hairstylists and chefs, business, technology, consulting, professional services, engineering, manufacturing, and on and on and on the list goes. Wherever God has called you 
do what you do well for the glory of God, for the good of others, and tell God that you're willing to do it in a place that is strategic for the mission of God. Let's pray to him together, please. Oh, Father, Lord, I just pray right now for every one of us in this room to whatever it is that you have called us to in this season of our life, whatever work looks like for us, whether we get a paycheck or, or die, Father, that, that we would do what we do well. We would do it as an act of worship before you. We would do it in a way that is strategic and intentional for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, today, would you renew in us a sense of calling, a sense of commissioning, a sense of being sent. Father, would you send forth from this place women and men skilled in such a wide variety of ways? Would you send them strategically to places in this country that need a powerful gospel witness? Would you send them to the nations strategically opening up nations and people groups with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Father, empower us to do what we do well for the glory of God and for the good of others. I'm just going to ask you just to be still for a moment or two more.